Just uh, my business cards. Anyone at the soup kitchen or church needs a bit of help pro bono. Oh. Oh, Dee Dee, that's, that's really kind. Yeah. Oh, I, I am so sorry. What if I'd been wearing that on my head? Well, if you'd been on your head, I wouldn't have had it. I've come in here for a quiet drink, not to be part of a firing range with some pound shop jockey, Wilson. What's the commotion? The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Welcome to episode 243 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street Catch-Up podcast that given what Ali has been asked to put up with this week, I'm only surprised that the show didn't force her to work through group reservations at Speed Dial from the National Front, Stanley Knives and Bernard Manning's fan club. I'm Gavin. <laughs> oh God, and I have nothing to say. Tune in next week. <laughs> it's finally happened. <laughs> it's been a rough week. It's been a long week. It's been an icy week. And I just realized that I forgot to prepare something clever to say about any of it. Yeah. I kind of feel a little bit let down. I'm sorry. Here oh. I am staring at 5,000 words all about <laughs> Coronation Street and, I'll, I'll, and I'll, just, a, just a single quip. I'll lift you up later. <laughs> You'll try. <laughs> How are you this week? Well... Kind Apart of, from all the shit that you just mentioned. Yeah, it's been a stressful week. It has been a stressful week. We had two days of pure ice falling from the heavens after like really warm, unnaturally warm days. Mm. And then everything turned to ice. We lost two limbs on our pine tree. I made the mistake of wearing shorts and flip-flops one day and <laughs> the punishment for that was ice rain. Which is a thing. I don't know if we get that in the UK. I don't think I've experienced it very often if we do. An ice storm? Where it is literally ice falling from the sky. Right, and then just clinging to everything. It's not snow. No. It's not sleet. No. It's not hail. No. It's it's ice. Yeah. Ice, ice, baby. <laughs> ice, ice cube. Have no. you Have you never ice seen... Ice No. Have you never seen the movie The Ice Storm? I don't think so. With the infamous key party scene. Nope. Toby Maguire's in it, which is why I've seen it. Ah. He's like a kid. It's a good movie. It's a weird movie. What happens in the infamous scene that you're talking about? Well, the parents go to a key party. What's a key party? It was... Oh, are you talking about kind sw- of swingers? <laughs> yes. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> Oh, thank God, I don't have to explain yeah. it to you. <laughs> That's why we all know what a Kia key fob looks like. Because <laughs> I want to see ya. Oh, no, 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 don't, don't finish that. Don't finish that. <laughs> oh, you know, and it's just been, you know, I've been working a lot because we had the simulcast for our premiere auction last week and then this week. You know, we have pickup tomorrow and then next week we have the simulcast for the book auction. So I'm working Saturdays, three Saturdays in a row. Mm-hmm. 
And I'm not used to that. You get an overtime for that? Just regular rates? Well, especially this week, just regular rates because I didn't work Thursday and I left early Wednesday because of... The said ice storm. Aforementioned ice storm. The aforementioned, yes. How have you been? Uh, Kind of stressed as well. Yeah, you were here most of the week, which doesn't typically happen very often anymore. I get out and about. You get out and about? Every now and again. I was kind of trapped. Not trapped. (laughs) Trapped is a very negative word. I did, however, set up the old PlayStation back in here right because i would take a hankering to play some nostalgic old games right like racing games that i used to play mm-hmm. i'm not playing any of those no but i'm i have started grand theft auto 5 again which must be nearly a decade old now right and problematic as hell yeah, it always well, was. they always were and then i thought you were going to finish red, De- red dead you, redemption who knows where the disc is I think it's in that drawer behind you. Is it? I think so. Oh, well, that's that mystery solved then. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so yeah, that's the plan to finally, finally finish Red Dead Redemption 2 and to finally finish Grand Theft Auto 5 because I've finished neither of them. <laughs> but starting Grand Theft Auto 5 again, oh, there's an awful lot of Grand Theft before you get to the auto. Right. If that makes sense. There's a lot of... <laughs> Shawshank before you get to the redemption kind of thing. Uh-huh. That makes sense. Right. Ah. But other than that, Peachy. Peachy. Peachy Keen. I finally watched Brian and Charles yes. this week. Yes. And if you haven't watched it, I would highly recommend it. Just yes. a, a, a delightful movie about one man and his robot. And it, nice. But not like that. That's nice. That's yeah, different kind of robot. Yeah. This isn't this isn't Not a sex she. Robot. Yeah. Yeah. Although anyway. she was more of an AI than, than a robot. What was the one what was the one with Oscar Isaac dancing that was like an actual robot that we both really liked? Ex Machina. Yes. Ex Machina. That's not like that either. No. This is a mannequin's head on a washing a machine body with a cardigan round it. Who calls himself Charles Petrescu, and it's just wonderfully ab- absurd and delightful. That's Highly nice. recommend it. Yeah, I-, I watched a short called "The Boy with Chocolate Fingers," which was also absurd and delightful and weird. Yeah. We watch weird shit. Wonderful stuff. And yeah. talking of which, <laughs> shall we preamble, my dear? <laughs> yes, please. Give us some of that problematic Cody news. Jack P. Shepard is lucky to still have eyebrows after an incident (laughs) Valentine's Day involving lighter fluid and a hot tub in the rain, which resulted in a fireball, which nearly took his face off. Wait, so what what were the variables in that? Lighter fluid? And a hot tub. A hot tub. In the rain. In the rain. Where he was trying to get a time machine. (laughs) He was trying to get a hot tub started because they wanted to sit in the hot tub in the rain. For some reason. Well, and it was a hot tub that you have to light a fire for. So it wouldn't have even gotten hot anytime soon anyway. And he decided that he would speed up the process by applying lighter fluid. Oh, it's but never then, a good idea to apply lighter fluid to anything that isn't a lighter. He lit the match or he, he, he flicked the lighter. While still holding the bottle of lighter fluid Uh-oh. and an umbrella. 
or balancing an umbrella under his chin. I can't remember. But still. <laughs> that would take more than your eyebrows off. The I man think. is lucky to be alive. It, All men are lucky to be alive. Let's be honest. Y'all do foolish shit. It sounds very much like my attempts to do DIY or, <laughs> or attempts to be handy. Michelle Keegan, the former Tina McIntyre, has a new gig on a Netflix show called Fool Me Once, based on the novel by Harlan Coben. So congrats to her on, on getting a Netflix gig. Of course, the show will probably be canceled halfway through production because that's what happens on Netflix right. and HBO Max and pretty much all streaming services these days, except for Amazon. <sighs> but still. You seem to be veering away from the topic in hand. Michelle yes. Keegan's good news. Yes, absolutely good news for always, the time being. Always a favourite. Yes. And Harlan Coben, that's nothing to uh, sneeze at. Why do I recognise that name? Because he's a famous mystery writer. And finally, the problem child Hope appears to be a thing of the past. As showrunners have announced they are pulling back from her darker storylines over fears they may burn out young Isabella Flanagan who stars as Hope. And instead, they plan on giving her some typical preteen stories, which, if anything Coronation Street has ever done before to preteens is anything to go by, means that she should be pregnant by Christmas. <laughs> and that's Corey News. Oh, wow. An awful lot to process at the end there. <laughs> I, I applaud this decision. Yeah. Because I... I I do. We, we've all enjoyed the hope being a, a serial killer in training, right? Kind of vibe that we've been getting for a number of years now. But yeah, you don't. Want, I don't think you want to push that onto a kid Too quite hard. so hard, right? No. You want to sort of do that in, in dribs and drabs. So I, I, I applaud that absolutely. And plus, it gives us a little bit of a break from, well, from dark storylines coming from that part of the street right no yeah. doubt they are coming from other places other parts on the, of the street, street. Right. yes and also as i kind of implied the show's never really <laughs> given these teenagers or preteens it never really cut them very much slack and let them be normal kids no they're on the way very often they're on the way they get pregnant they do drugs they steal yep. they murder they after summer they smoke spice and then collapse yes and that leads us very neatly into Will Podcast for Coffee, which has a theme tune that goes like this. Thanks to Donegal Women. Yay! Irish people! I don't know if it's an Irish Helen. Well, no, but... Uh, presumably it's not. But presumably she is from Ireland, because that's where Donegal is. What was your first clue? Oh, Donegal. <laughs> she writes, love your podcast, the in-depth yet funny analysis of the show and life in general. It's a great place to turn to after <laughs> often head-wrecking weeks. Thank Aww. you so much, Donegal woman. I'm glad our head-wrecking weeks can help you with your <laughs> head-wrecking weeks. Absolutely. <laughs> The Talk of the Street is and always will be free on your podcast provider and on the YouTubes. But if you think your show is worth anything more than the time it takes to listen to it, and if you want to show your appreciation, you can buy us next week's coffees by going to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com, slash the talk of the street. And we'll be very appreciative 
just like we are for Donegal women, won't we, Helen? Aye. Yeah, thanks, thanks. Thank you very much indeed. That's much appreciated. Are you drinking coffee? I'm drinking cranberry juice. And I'm drinking Canada Dry. But, Lieutenant Uhura glass. But worry not, within the next 24 hours, those coffees will be consumed. Yes, they will. And now, this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to last year tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about Bants Central. Is this people talking in the factory about things that have nothing to do with the factory? That's right. This was Faye calling the factory Bants Central. I was right. Now that you're always right. Now that Craig <laughs> and Kirk were working together there. I was Gavin and you stood with Ukraine. I still do. We had Sean and Lydia talking about going for a waz playing over the theme tune. Oh, God. The mask mandate ended and you predicted we'd have COVID incoming in a couple of weeks. I wonder how that worked out. You got COVID. (laughs) Just a little (laughs) bit later, right? You were in the midst of cookie season. I'm so glad I am free from cookie hell forever. I was just talking to Stella about that, coming back from the bowling. Mm Mm-hmm. Because we, we drove past a, a cookie booth and asked her if she missed it. And she was like, not one little bit. No. <laughs> I think she misses the kind of fun of it. But right. you'd always get weather like like we've had this week. Right. Where you're They'd standing be selling out. cookies in an ice storm. Right. And she said that she used to just say that she needed to go to the bathroom just to go and warm up, warm up and wash her hands with hot water just <laughs> to heat her hands up. It's like something out of Oliver Twist. <laughs> How Dickensian. Won't anyone think of the millions of soup crackers that are handed out and never eaten again because there was a Girl Scout cookie shortage and a soup cracker shortage this time last year. Mm. This is how the empire falls. Yes. The show moved from its traditional slot of 7.30 in the evening to 8pm, a not insignificant alteration. Relations between Joseph's two grannies remain strained and they don't improve when Linda suggests that everyone's life would be better if he moved to Portugal with her. And it would have been. It would have been. And he should have done that. Yes. Daniel becomes suspicious when Max apologises to him and announces that David will be letting him return to school without the capture of the phantom drink spiker proviso. Mm. Not sure what that means. I can barely say it. That remember when when Max spiked Amy's drink? I remember that, but yeah. I don't remember what the proviso was though. Well, because he didn't. Uh, Max, no. Not Max. David didn't want Max to go back to school because he was afraid that Max was going to get spiked because he didn't know that Max was the one who did it. Oh, I see. The pressure of a game of Never Have I Ever plays havoc with Abby's conscience and she comes clean to Sally about her infidelity. A particularly nasty run-in with Tracy makes homeless Stu determined to put her in her place as he hatches a plan to spoil her fancy wine-tasting evening. That was quite funny. That was funny. Remember they ended up being great friends for that evening. Right, yes. And then never speak again again. Correct. Craig starts his new job packing knickers in the factory with Kirk and is as thrilled about this development as we are. Adam warns Sarah that her continued friendship with Lydia blurs the lines between employer and employee and she, she would be right to remain cautious. Kev can't sing. Yasmin enjoys a brazier misunderstanding. Yes, she does. And Beth is fond of a chocolate finger. <laughs> That's the second mention of chocolate fingers today. I know. <laughs> Let's see if we'll have any more mentions of chocolate fingers. It's the chocolate many... finger of the week. 
How many chocolate finger mentions do you have on your bingo card? <laughs> our moment of the week was Joseph and Linda talking about his future, and our boring moment of the week was Ken putting apostrophes into the paper. And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last year. Remember when Ken did that? Yeah, happened last year. Yeah. God, what a bore he is. Shall we dive into this week's stories, my dear? Well, I guess we have to. That's why we're here. Can that I just is. say, in case I forget to mention, going through it, how much I enjoyed Wednesday. What happened Wednesday? Wednesday was the speeches. Wednesday oh, was okay. Alia yeah. and Max and yeah. Spider and Griff. Oh, yes, yes. And I was pleasantly surprised by that, Daisy. but I'm sure we'll get to we it. We'll get to that. Our first storyline tonight is... Alia makes a statement. Now, an awful lot of these storylines are going to cross over with each other. Mm-hmm. So, apologies in advance. So, we're going to get Alia makes a sta- statement and Mad Max Fury Road? Pretty much. Okay. On Monday, in the morning, as Zidane is getting ready to fuck off, Yasmin thinks Alia is writing her victim personal statement, but it's actually a shopping list. And then Alia, who, let's remember, less than a month ago, had a lung collapse lifts heavy suitcases for Zidane and carries them out for him with no problem at all. That's not the only bit of exertion that Alia gets up to this week that remains a little bit unlikely. Correct. Alia doesn't see the point of the VPS as Blake will be getting the same sentence anyway. And she goes off to help Zidane pack because everyone wants rid of him as quickly as possible. And he says his goodbyes later, and not even the scene before the commercial break. He walks alone to his black cab and is driven off, while Alia and Yasmin can't even be asked to leave the house to wave him off. This is true. And that's it, I think, for Zidane. A black cab typically means that's it. Which is weird, because there was definitely chemistry between him and Didi that we detected before he left the first time. Now, the only thing that's making me think this maybe isn't something a little bit more permanent is these days, you know, these days. These days. What happens these days is when actors are leaving the show, they get to say something nice in 30 seconds in an ITV puffer puffer jacket. Right, yes, and 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 we didn't get that. And we didn't get that, so maybe this is just a temporary thing. But for now, as far as we know, that's him away to that London. So to cheer herself up, Alia goes round to the law office where no one was expecting her because they're interviewing this Jaden character from last week. The guy who is on a GBH charge for being a bit stabby-stabby with a knife. Mm. Adam quickly ushers Jaden into the office, but Alia finds his case papers on the floor. Oh, Didi! And is shocked to read that he's been done for GBH with a blade, and Alia loses her shit. Yes, she does. She bursts into the office as Adam kind of runs out. And she locks herself in with Jaden and starts having a go at him about what it's like to be stabbed. That was actually quite good. It was. And I think, I kind of think that maybe lots of people learned something through that about what it's like. I assume they they did the research. One would hope. Because a bit about the electricity and the heat and stuff. And And not quite realizing what had happened. And mm-hmm. then, you know, your body kind of catches up with it. Right. Because, you know, it, it's something that tends to happen rather quickly. Yes. You know, and people say that about gunshots wounds as well, that they don't, that initially it's just pressure, that it doesn't initially hurt. It's just this weird kind of pressure and tingly feeling. 
And then your body catches up because it's something that happens so quickly. Right. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah. Jaden insists it was a mistake. What, you accidentally stab somebody? Right. And Alia doesn't care and only stops when Jaden looks like he's about to start crying. He and he finally breaks free and he runs away. Later, and calmly, Adam has to explain the point of solicitors and being defence lawyers. And if Alia can't deal with that, maybe train to be a juggler. <laughs> They've lost the client and maybe, just maybe... Alia isn't ready to come back yet, so they send her home. Right. But she's not lost her job. No. Because, of course, that wasn't why she had her outburst. Right, yeah. I think they both kind of realise, you know, she she came to work because she was emotional about her brother leaving right. and wanted to distract herself with work. So, obviously, she was really not in the state of mind. And also, they already knew because they were already trying to shield her from it. And last week, when she said she was going to come back to work... The only reason she was really doing that was to get out of the house and get away from people telling her to write that bloody statement. Right. So she goes to speed dial where Yasmin struggles to find a positive spin on this, saying, well, maybe they shouldn't have accepted the case in the first place. This isn't the kind of chat Alia's looking for. So she fucks off to the only other person prepared to listen to her moan, but not like that. Ryan. Absolutely like like that. And he's quite chuffed to hear from her. She yeah. apologises, but he demands something exciting like a lottery win to whisk him away from all this. She puts on a brave face, but she can't seem to hide things, not from Ryan. No. And she does what she's been threatening to do for quite some time and she starts to cry. Right. He listens to her tell her story and suggests that her VPL might help matters, not her VPL. Her VPS, I think. Yes. Getting her statement might tell the arseholes who did this kind of thing what the consequences are. And the chat takes them back to Yasmin's where they have an empty. And Ryan's eyes light up. But Arya's quick to tell him that uh, Yasmin and Stu and all that will be back soon. That said, she appreciates his ear and he promises to stay until the others get back. They hug for a bit. And then finally, they're not hugging for a bit. They're smooching for a bit. Right. And I'm like... Thank fuck for that. Thank you. They're back together. Thank you. And I'm thrilled by this. And and then the next time we see them, one of them's in a robe. Yes. So on Wednesday. So so the implication there is that something more than smooching has gone on. At the Nazirs, it seems that Ryan and Alia got a bit more than a smooch on the couch. Mm. They got their holes. Yasmin assumes that they're back together, but Alia's hesitant to go that far. Yasmin thinks Ryan might have his hopes up. That wasn't all he had up. Am I right? All right. <laughs> and again, this is the sort of thing that I think is probably implausible so soon after being stabbed and having oh, surgery on you your mean belly. Sex? Mm-hmm. Well. Couple of couple of weeks. You're still kinda you can barely sit up. Ne- never mind. Well, she's been never sitting up. Bend over the anyway. <clears throat> you know, yeah. if Ryan is gentle, which I believe that he can be Do you know I think Ryan would be gentle? Yeah. When he needs to be. He's, he seems like and a very... An absolute beast when he's let off the chain. He seems he seems like a very conscientious lover. He does. Well done, Ryan. Ah. <laughs> <clears throat> <sighs> hmm. <laughs> I mean, the rules. Spider is still working the Griff case, trying to find out who financed Griff's racist gang. And then, apropos of nothing, Marie announces that she has a meeting coming up with P. Gate Lane. Later, Toy and Spider are making plans to go to the pictures when Spider gets a call and he has to leave, telling her that he's going to deal with some paperwork. I don't know why he's still lying to her about this or 
or concealing the truth, at least. Although he, he can't knows. be right, yeah, he can't be very specific though. He can't say exactly who he's after. No, but he could say that he's going to see Griffin prison. Well, I think maybe he wants to spare her that stress because you know what men on the street are like, think. thinking that ladies are going to faint away at the thoughts that their mans are going to be in. I think that's the excuse that he uses. Yay. But actually, he's gone to the prison at Seagriff, who wants to strike a deal. He'll reveal his financier if he gets a reduced sentence. And after a bit of toing and froing, Griff tells Spider it were P. Gate Len what done it, and he can prove it with messages on his burner phone. Now he wants his deal before he reveals the location of that phone. And oh, that phone that we found on top of the hot water tank? Yeah, we know about that, says Spider. Thanks Wasn't for the it name. inside the toilet tank? I like taped so. on the inside? Right. Yeah, that's... <laughs> that's like the first place the cops look these days. Thanks for the name, says Spider. What about my deal, says Griff. No deal. What, what, says Spider. Do you see Howie Mandel here? And during this, I've kind of... <laughs> skipped most of that exchange but there was an awful lot of Griff and Spider's uh, battle of wits kind of thing as they argue mm-hmm. the, the the reasons for his right. for his actions and right. how Griff thinks that, that Max is just a casualty in a, in a in greater a war. war right yeah so it's it's just very obvious that Griff hasn't learned a lesson no at all. Prison's not doing him very much good. No. Back at the Rose Gold Flat, Marina's meeting with P. Gate Len. It went well, and he's agreed to fund the refugee centre. After all, much to everyone's surprise. What? And not only is he financing it, it seems, he's not financing it on behalf of the council. He's, he's financing it, it out of personally, his own pocket. We see later. Yay. And later at the flat, Spider announces the wonderful news. They have Griff's backer, although he's cautious not to tell Toya who that is. Right. Once the rest has been made, he'll be done with this case, and then who knows what. Toya admits that she finds it difficult working around his secrets. He promises her the two of them will always come first after his job. On Friday, Evelyn comes into Roy's roles looking for Roy for his shift at the charity shop. <gasps> but Roy is off to the back group AGM, which is admittedly hard to imagine something more boring and is weird because like but then half, the, not there. half the bat group is nita and asha and brian and none of them are there right. well brian and asha might be there but nina's not there no because it's nina who's going to be filling in at the charity shop in yes. place of roy which is very nice of her spider is still reluctant to tell toya anything about p gate lane and deflects by reminding her and us that it's blake's sentencing today about Alia is now worried about reading her VPS in front of a courtroom full of people and a visiting Toya tells her that she doesn't need to put herself under pressure but if she does want to speak then she should do so loud and proud and at this point in a different storyline we've already heard what that statement's going to going be, to be right. so we know we're not going to hear it again so no. we're, we're not going to go at the sentencing as, right. as which we what. already knew because Blake is already off the show At the charity shop a man drops in looking for a suit ahead of an interview and he finds one and it's 20 quid, but he only has 10 on him. So he offers to pay half now and half later, but Evelyn isn't for budging because it's all about profits at the charity shop. Sure. <laughs> so Nina pitches Oh my in. God. It just reminds me, there's like this huge outcry on on Twitter right now about people... Oh, when isn't there? 
about resellers going to thrift stores and buying clothes cheap and then selling them for a profit on like Depop and Poshmark and stuff, you know, kind of the stuff that I do mm-hmm. and people are, are decrying it saying that shame on you for taking, taking clothes out of the hands of poor people to make a profit. And it's like, that you do understand that there's far more clothes than there are people on this planet. And most of it goes to landfills anyway. Mm. And it's just absolutely ridiculous to try to, virtue signal for poor people and poor people are like don't bring us into this you don't go to like goodwill for stuff to resell do you not typically because stuff at goodwill is too expensive for the most part right so it's like it's like yard sales and estate sales sales and stuff like that that seems more fair game i I guess i can understand a little bit from the, the charity shop point of view that if you're taking something that's nice to be used and that is maybe there is somebody who could use that for for example this situation where somebody's looking for a nice suit for an interview yeah there's always more clothes though and a lot of resellers are themselves poor and that's how they make money (laughs) right anyway so nina pitches in the man promises to pay her back that'll be right says evelyn Mm. so nina tells him that she'll be in nina's roles later this man is mo and evelyn thinks that nina has been naive so Later, Maria is meeting with Pgate Len about the refugee centre and he seems uninterested in the whole thing until the press arrive with a big cheque for him to hand over and the money at this point does seem to be coming from Len's own account. Right, and a big cheque. And then the police arrive and Spider has his best super serious police face on when he gets out of the car. And he's got one of those one of those gun holsters on, like he's in Law and Order. Mm-hmm. Or Starsky and Hutch. <laughs> yeah. Bless his heart. Bless his wee heart. And he's arresting P-Gate Lane. Yes, right in front of the press right. that P-Gate Lane himself had called. Yes. Which oh, is hilarious. Oh, the irony. Oh, how I laughed. Oh, how I laughed. Is that what you were laughing at? Yes. You did laugh at that. I heard it. <laughs> and Nina's rolls later, Evelyn is still going on about Nina being wet behind the ears when, wouldn't you believe it, Mo turns up to repay Nina the tenor. The interview that he had wasn't for a job. It was with the immigration office. Oh. And Darian, who's in Nina's roles, uh, his ears prick up. And the two of them start chatting about their experiences in the system and stuff. Right, and Darian offers to help him because his reading's not too good in English. Yep. Later, Gary gets back home from the court. Turns out that Blake got 12 years. There were some mitigating circumstances that they don't seem to want to bore us with the details. Right. I, I, <laughs> mitigating circumstances like, oh, he's just this... Poor young no, no. white boy. No, no. Won't someone think about the poor white boys and their futures? <laughs> no, no. You're just you're just surmising what definitely absolutely happened. Spider lets them know about Pigate Len and how a search of Pigate Len's laptop has brought up links to extremist groups, and the quite frankly worst surprise of all that he was Maria's cyber stalker, Red Pill One Hundred. Which we kind of figured, didn't we? I think we knew we? that. If we, if we didn't already know it, we strongly I think we strongly it. surmised it, yes. Because if it wasn't Griff, and it wasn't Griff. No, and it wasn't that other guy. Remember the guy who tried to get into Maria's pants? Oh, yeah, it wasn't him. No. And it turns out, we find out, that Mo was at the same processing centre as Darian's brother, Hader. <gasps> which means that he made it to the UK after all, which, which Darian had no idea about. Yes. And I guess... 
where we're going to go with that is a very nice storyline uh, where he gets reunited with his brother. Yeah, one would hope. But I was a little disappointed that it didn't finish that. It seemed to be going somewhere. A little train of thought, right? For that, and it and it didn't happen. Well, no, not and yet. It, it's and it felt like it would something. happen, but it felt like it would happen at that point that the doll put two and two together and said, "Well, we should." I kind of feel up. like there's a lot going on this week that that would get lost in. Ten, Fifteen seconds. Of them running to like the place no, and finding out his that file? That, just to say that that's what they're intending to do, but they didn't really say that. In fact, do they have to? Well, yes. <laughs> yes they we did. know that's what they're going to do. No, but they, now need, that he they need has to do proof. that to close that, to close that arc eh. off a little bit. Eh. I think they need to mention it. Eh. In the pub later, Alia can't remember anything about giving her VPS. Time to put all of that behind her now. And that's as far as we get with that part of the story this yes. week. Yes. And yeah, I, I thought the Wednesday part of this again in particular was was really well done. I liked we will talk about the other half of this, mm-hmm. but an awful lot of the bit round about the middle commercial break was Max and Alia talking and Spider and Griff talking and it kind yeah. of backwards and forwards. At, at it was interesting that, that to really mirror liked. those two conversations. Yeah, and kind of the experiences and the uh, where Max and Griff were at at this point in their incarceration were Correct. very, very different places. Absolutely. And it was a nice a nice contrast there. Uh we did get to see some shots outside the the charity shops and yes. we saw a very, very busy looking playground. Yes. There were kids and swings and, and stuff. It was yes. like pre pandemic sort of busyness. Right. That was, a little unsettling to see so many people close together. Mm. I don't know. It doesn't bother me anymore. That's still like when we were talking about the Staley's uh, trombone recital thing. Right. That always gives me the heebie-jeebies just sitting amongst all those people in that crowded gymnasium. And yet we went to see Jagged Little Pill <laughs> with like... But do you know what helped me with that? was there was like five rows that were empty in right. front of us and there were five rows behind us that were empty. It didn't feel like we were all kind of jammed surrounded into by lots of people another. coughing yeah. and spluttering. And That's true. I, uh, and I'm going to be snobby. I think that the people that are likely to go to the, the theatre uh-huh. are likely to be vaccinated. Yes. <laughs> A terrible assumption. Right. It's funny. I uh, Yesterday I was watching this thing that was released during 2020. One of those things, one of those performances where everybody's on Zoom doing their part and, you know, mm-hmm. things are kind of spliced together. And I found it quite disconcerting at this point, you know, to be reminded of what things were like in 2020. It's yeah. like, I, you know, I recognize that it was an awful time and that we should learn from those mistakes and not be stupid. But I also kind of don't want to be reminded by about it anymore. I remember the Scott Pilgrim versus the World table read that they did, right? Kind of at the start of the pandemic, that was kind of awesome, right? But if you watched it now, yeah, I don't know if I'd feel exactly the same way. Same yeah. with all these Twitch people, uh, like the David Earl who was in the Brian and Charles. The mm-hmm. only reason I really know him because I didn't watch Derek and I didn't really watch Afterlife mm-hmm. is through his Twitch streams. That he doesn't do anymore. Right. Because he's not stuck at home anymore. Correct. And neither are we anymore. No. So, yeah, it feels like it's a very much a different part of your life that's kind of 
done and hidden away and you don't want to think about it anymore. You know what's crazy? We have a COVID poster in my book auction from like the beginning of the pandemic, when like the New York Strong COVID poster. Yep. It's getting bids. Oh, wow. Somebody yeah. actually wants to buy that. Not from us. <laughs> so Alia and Ryan then. Yeah. What is going on with those two crazy kids, Helen? Well, we're getting there. We've had a step in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And that makes me happy. Uh, I think all that Daisy stuff feels so long ago now. Yeah, especially since she's marrying someone else already. Plus, we don't really want to talk about that too much because it kind of suggests that Daisy kind of Sexually assaulted Assaulted, Ryan, yes. Yes, exactly, right. So we're kind of tiptoeing, the show's tiptoeing around about that as much as I was. And and we don't want to remember that because Daisy's cool now. But that (laughs) does seem like such a, when we're talking about things that happened a long time ago, that feels like it's a long time ago. But while they were talking, it was never that the relationship was back anywhere near where it was. But with this trauma... Mm-hmm. It was kind of sweet that the person that she turns to when she can't talk to Yasmin because Yasmin doesn't really get it, right. or, or Yasmin is, or Yasmin's been too kind as well. I don't think she wants yeah. that unadulterated kindness. But the person that she turns to is Ryan, mm-hmm. and yeah. that was lovely. Absolutely, and we get to see them smooch and cuddle, and that's nice too. And it was a, a day of a lot of that going on. That is something we want to see. Yeah, I hope those crazy kids can work something out because Absolutely. I really like the two of them together. Yes, they've got great chemistry. We love them. Yeah, and Alia being kind of more grounded and sensible and Ryan being a Ryan. bit of an arsehole, right? They they work well together. Yes. All right, let's tackle the, the other half of that, that storyline with our educating Max. On Monday... David is hung over in Nina's roles when he spies Daniel, who he knows works at the secure unit thing where Max is currently incarcerated. Conveniently. Yes, David asks Daniel to keep an eye out for Max and let David know how he's doing. Daniel reluctantly agrees, saying it's a decent place and it's not full of monsters. At least it wasn't until Max arrived. <gasps> and he also says, you know, these are kids that they're probably, they probably prefer being there than being in some of their horrible situations at, at home. home. Except, Except for Max, yeah. yeah. Not yeah. talking about Max. Yeah. Meanwhile, in the STC, or the VPL, Max has swapped out his two old bullies for two shiny new bullies who boot the fuck out of him for being a racist shitbag. Which, fair. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, ca- ha- it's hard to be too condemning of that. It's kind it? of funny, though, because it's like these two white kids come in and say, oh... Oh, you, you only like the English, huh? Oh, you're so racist. We're going to beat you up. Because actually we have black friends and immigrant friends. Well, they can't have... Kids non, who would actually non, be mad at him people. being racist? Right. No. Because that would show them to be the thugs. So they're being, they're being cautious not to do that, I think. Yeah, but it's still silly. Right. Later, Max has a nasty bit of jam on his face. His teacher tells him that the attack has to be reported and he needs fixed up and she's going to have to tell David. Max doesn't want that to happen, but rules is rules, so what, what? So the teacher calls David while David's in the pub. 
David is shocked and wants to come see that Max is okay, but Max has put the kibosh on that and it's explained in very mm-hmm. brutal terms to David that if he doesn't want to see you, we can't make you see him. Right, yeah, we can't force him to see you. Yeah, so David decides to stay in the pub and get hammered instead. Yes. And when David does three quarters cut, Jenny cuts him off, so he leaves and hangs out in the community garden rather than going home. A passing Maria and Gary spot him. Gary wants to keep walking, but Maria wants to check in on David. Fine, smell you later, says Gary, and he leaves her to it. So Maria listens to David's update, puts an arm around him and tells him that everything is going to be okay, which makes drunken David think that he's in there, and he leans in for a smooch. Yikes. Maria tells him to get to fuck, reminding him that this is the third time he's tried to pull a stunt like this. Which part of being a mate don't you understand? And David begs for her not to tell Gary because he doesn't want a kicking. Damn right, says Maria. And he's instantly regretting this. Yes, absolutely. Instant. Instantaneous. <clears throat> so David heads off to speed dial with a carry out, seemingly under the impression that Alia might agree to have a word with Max to make him feel better. He's having such a hard time of it in the secure training room and he's just been beaten up. Maybe if you go and have a word with him, that would help. And Alia <laughs> tells him to suck her balls. Yes. Rightly so. And then Shona comes in, back from being pregnant in that London. Right, yes. And it's... Looking very much not pregnant anymore. Thank goodness. She's not holding anything in front of herself. No. She's not hiding behind a counter. No, she's wearing a very large rain poncho. (laughs) And it's nice to see her again. Yes. Although it just feels like she's only been out the show for like a couple of weeks, doesn't it? Right, yeah. Back home, David thinks Shona would have been better just staying in that London. But she's here to help him fix things. And she's stuck with him. And he's stuck with her. At the Rose Gold flat, Gary and Maria chat about the meeting with David. And because Maria can't keep a secret, she sort of tells Gary that David tried it on and Gary is able to fill in the blanks for himself. Correct. And he is predictably furious about this. Correct. And tracks David down to the Rovers, where David's already been refused service. And he's sitting with Shona. Gary isn't shy in letting the whole pub know what happened with David trying to stick his tongue down Maria's throat. And he wants a square go outside or in, it's all the same to him. Knock yourself out, says an annoyed Shona, and she storms off in a huff, leaving Gary to oddly not punch David's lights out and just wander away himself. Because he looks muttering. He looks so pathetic. Doesn't he? He looks so pathetic. Sitting there oh, David drunk. And then Shona leaves. Also, hasn't Gary punched David enough? I think David certainly punched Gary enough. Like, in a coma enough. At the charity boxing. Why do I always Why do I always get those switched and think that it was Gary who put David in a coma? No, it was David after his rape. He had the rape rage. Oh, that's right, yes. I guess because it makes more sense for Gary to have put David in a coma. Yeah. Yeah. Who do you think would win in a fight between David and Nick? Now that's interesting. Nick definitely has the height over him. And the reach, yeah. Yeah. But... David's a wee terrier. Yeah, and it could put him off balance rather quickly. Plus, Nick cries a lot. <laughs> this is true. And he's not really a fighter. He's not. He's not really a fighter. I can't think of any time... The only thing I, I could think of about Nick being sort of in a fight is when Peter hit him over the head with a troll. <laughs> a gnome. Same thing. You had the brain injury at that point. Right, yes. You had the brain injury rage. He was gnomed. So you're writing David then? Yeah, probably. Interesting. 
What about Craig? Oh, who cares? <laughs> Back home, David finds Shona packing. She's leaving him, and after all the times he told her to stay in that London, she says that she should have listened. And so she walks out on him, and that'll help with his drinking. Right, yes. And also, he didn't actually kiss her. He didn't actually kiss Maria. No. He kind of tried to when he was plastered and worried about Max, who had just been beat up. No excuse, though. I'd forgive you. Really? I don't think I would forgive me. (laughs) I think I'd have a hard time forgiving myself. Would you forgive me? Uh, probably not. <gasps> <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a quite a... I think it's quite a breach of trust. And if you're drunk, well, you're, you're still responsible for your actions. Well, are you though? You were the one that got drunk. No one poured it down your throat. Right, yes. But when you are drunk, you cannot give consent. Which would mean that you cannot give... You cannot be held responsible for your actions. If you're drunk driving, you're very much responsible for your actions. That's true. I don't know. I think Shona... Especially if it was an incident that you absolutely knew didn't go anywhere and didn't mean anything. Because I can't imagine anybody that I would try to kiss that you would take as a serious threat. Hmm. I don't know. I, I guess I can see Shona's. I, I think maybe leaving is is a step too far. Yeah. Especially if she's just got back. Although it does right. make it does make packing and they easier. are married. It does make packing easier. Right. But because she kind of implies that she's never coming back, and he's like, "What about the kids?" And she's like, "We'll figure that out." Yeah, that's just an, that's a little too far. That's got cliffhanger written all over it. That's right. That's what that's about. But yeah, I, right. think she, I think she's. I think she's within the rights to be to be angry, upset about it. Yeah. Absolutely, but to leave. Did she seem like old Shona more than new Shona? I, I felt that since she she's come back, she's felt a little bit. I kind of feel like the lines. The lines have been blurred for quite some time now. Let's be honest, because hmm. even before she left, she felt more like old Shona. Hmm. Like with the whole speech to to Lily, the whole conversation to Lily. Uh, I don't know. I, I felt that was still in keeping with you, Shona. Anyway. Anyway. On Wednesday, Gail gets up to find that Shona has already done a runner and correctly assumes that it's because of David. David protests, but it is because of you, David. It is. She I know, it was hilarious. She's like, what did you do now? <laughs> what makes you think it was my fault? Was or it? No, it was my yes. fault. <laughs> And the worst thing, Daniel is trying to teach poetry to thugs. In comes Max, who has been moved to a new unit after getting jam smeared all over his face. Philip Larkin. I was very impressed. Yeah. The poem reading is a bit laboured until Max has some insights about a Philip Larkin poem about not wanting to go to a party that impresses Daniel because he's a fanny. <laughs> on the street, Shona grabs Maria on her way to a meeting and apologises for David's actions. Maria is sorry that Gary even said anything in the first place and once again, she gives David the benefit of the doubt and advises Shona should go down a path of forgiveness. Later at Speeddal, Daniel comes in and after sitting through a poetry class together, he thinks Max is having a hard time and it would do him the world of good if Alia would go and see him. Are you oh, for, for fucking, fucking real? real? Says Alia, asking Daniel if he's given one thought to how she's feeling. Then Ryan comes in and tells Daniel to sling his hook. 
Ryan is initially confused as everyone else about why David and Daniel are so intent on getting Alia to visit Max until Alia puts him back in the friend zone. Right. Now his first duty as a friend is to tell Alia to go and see Max. But he puts, a, at least he puts a spin on it that maybe she'll get something out of the exchange. Right. The only reason that David mentions it and the only reason that Daniel mentions it is for Max's benefit. Poor, poor, poor little white boy needs some consolation from the brown lady. Um. Ah. Uh, On what planet? And, and, you know, I think Ryan is right here. And and he proves to be right the way Mm -hmm. that the the storyline goes. Right. But who in their right mind would tell a lady who has just been starred right. in the last few weeks right. to go and see the person who's kind of responsible for making that happen right. to make him feel better. Right. What, which part of that coming out of somebody's mouth don't they realise just sounds absolutely cack-handy thing to say. The frightening thing is this happens in real life all the time. Oh, I'm sure it does. So... Uh, Shona comes home at number 8 and Lily instigates the world's most uncomfortable family hug Shona's back but hasn't forgiven David and for the time being he can kip on the couch next to visit number 8 is Daniel to tell David that Max has been moved into his English class has he not been punished enough says David (laughs) that was funny (laughs) Daniel also says he tried to speak to Alia yes says David Alia's really touchy these days isn't she have you noticed that hmm I wonder why at the Borstal thing, Max has a visitor. It's Alia. Max apologises and then says, you probably don't believe me. And Alia says, I don't it's not that care. I don't believe you, I just don't care. I love it. All she cares is that justice has been done. But she wants to know why he did what he did, but Max doesn't really have a clue of what he was trying to achieve. And he does a really bad job explaining it, saying that Griff was far better putting it in the words than he was. And that's all that Alia needs to hear. She thinks that Max needs Griff to do his thinking, and without him, he's just a fucking fanny. Yes. Alia also isn't falling for this grooming pitch either. Right. Max chose to listen. Yes. Max is then confused over why Griff picked him, but Alia isn't his therapist, and as she leaves, she tells him that while he thinks his family didn't listen to him, maybe it was more that he didn't want to listen to what they were saying. Right. Maybe think that over. Absolutely. And she leaves him to it. Yeah. Because she's like... Go fuck yourself with this whole, oh, poor me, I have no family shit. Yeah, it's like, what was Max expecting? Just her to come in and just sit and listen to his apology and then say, that's all right. Yeah. Not a bit of it. Alia's in control of that conversation from start to finish. All the way through. Bravo. This is entirely for her benefit. Absolutely. Loved it. Yes. What what a a great, great writing, a great scene well directed and brilliantly acted by the two of them was dreading it and then loved it me too yeah because of this whole like men constantly telling her she needs to go to make max feel better shite which as we have pointed out multiple times on this podcast is the sort of thing this show does a lot well, the thing is, it was completely unnecessary because you've got Alia struggling to to get over it. Mm-hmm. Over the last few weeks, she's been walking about slowly with her puffer puffer jacket on and she's been kind of finding it difficult to have conversations with people without snapping. She's been irritable. She's had this uh, moment in the law office where she's kind of attacked the right. guy who's also stabbed someone. She has plenty of stuff that's going on in her head that is not 
Alia that's not right, that's right. That things that are happening that are kind of completely out of character for her. So it was conceivable that she could sit down with Yasmin, for example, and say, you know what, there's only one thing I can think of that's going to help me mm-hmm. through this, and that's going to see that wee cunt in there. Yeah, and, then, and tell him what's what. And that's... That's why she does it. Yes. Not because David tells her to do no. it. Not because Daniel tells her to do Not it. Not even because, because Ryan. Ryan. She does it because of herself. Yeah, and she doesn't do it for Max. She does it for herself. So there was a way round about this that having this scene together, which was so great, yes, could have been achieved without this bullshit of having, you know, three guys tell her what to do. Right. And that's the end of my TED talk. Yes. Which... I'm sure we'll be repeated in a few weeks when we talk about <laughs> the next woman to be once again traumatized. Don't spoil it for me. To you teach know, a man remember, a lesson. You know things. You know things that I don't know about. That's or what just, I do. I or, drink and I know things. Or just generally, I drink cranberry juice. <laughs> <laughs> I know things. Or just generally, at some point, a woman's going to be traumatized to help a man learn something about right, himself. Right. Yes, because that's just, that's. That's, that's basically a, the show. The show's MO. That's yeah. basically the show. So back at number eight, David gets a call from Max. He tells her about Alia's visit and asks David and Shona to visit tomorrow. David agrees. Shona, though, refuses to play Happy Families and doesn't appreciate being emotionally blackmailed into pretending everything's okay. And she refuses to go. And I'm like, good for you. Too right. After meeting with Max, Alia tells Yasmin that she's going to go to Blake's sentencing tomorrow after all and she's written her VPL. She Huzzah. She reads her statement and it's moving and focuses on the effects other than the physical and emotional injuries and how Blake wanted to send a message to people like Alia that they weren't welcome. But she's from this country and has contributed more to this country than the little scrot and bit character Blake will ever do. Yes. And he can shove his racism off his arse. Right. right. Up off his, his arse. arse. Other overs, Alia wants to go to the sentencing tomorrow on her own, which means we probably won't get to see it. David comes in and tells Arya that Max wants to see him tomorrow, so whatever she said, what? Suck my balls, says Alia. Yes. On That's Friday, what worked. <laughs> Sucking my balls. <laughs> On Friday, in Nina's roles, Nina is uh, trying to talk Shona into going to see Max, but Shona is still holding firm. This was kind of new Shona, I thought. Then, meanwhile, David is ready to go see Max, worried about Lily seeing them all beaten up. And then Sean appears, who's had a change of heart and agrees to come along, but she's doing it for Max and Lily, not for David, all right? Then the worst thing, Max is blaming his facial inj- injuries on falling into a bush. But not like that. Because <laughs> it's c- an all boys... That could explain the jam. <laughs> because, because it's an all boys thing it's not like the one that's not like the horrible one kelly was in where rape was never off the table (laughs) that sounds about as bad as it possibly could right yeah and it was horrible remember that place they threw kelly in it was horrible it was not nearly as nice as this one that max is in but you know what she was she was a girl somebody painted murder on her wall the conversation is a little awkward. It seems Max is enjoying his stay at His Majesty's pleasure, but when Shona makes it clear she's unimpressed <gasps> with this, he insists he's trying to work an awful lot out about himself. Doesn't that still sound weird? His Majesty's, yeah. It sounds so weird. His Majesty's Some pleasure. barristers used to be QCs. 
Queen's Council. Now they're Casey's. Now they're Casey's, and that looks Casey in the Sunshine Band as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> David says he's proud of him. Too soon, says Max. Too soon. Byzantine comes to an end. Lolly calls Max a loser and leaves with Shona, which allows Max and David to share a hug. They both say how sorry they are, and Max calls David dad. That was really nice. And back at number eight, yeah, t- despite myself, I kind of got goosebumps at that. He doesn't call David dad very often, a lot. Yeah, because he's just like David right. calling Gail, Gail. Mm-hmm. Back at number eight, David tells Shona that he's failed Max and he's sorry for the Maria thing. Shona insists that they'll get through it together. Max is going to need a family to come home to at some point, probably next month. Eventually. And that is how we finish that storyline this week. Yeah. I don't think, I, I think it's going to be more than a month. I, well, I think sure. they have. I was being uh, facetious. Deliberately exaggerating for, for comedy effect. Sure. It, it kind of feels like they're going to be giving Max some storylines in, in, the, in the slammer with other with other dudes oh you think so yes i think so because this felt like the end the hug shona coming back kind of felt it was the end p gate lens has been caught blake's been sentenced to 12 well, years yes. it Griff's feels like the end the longest it time. feels like the end of that but that that's going to segue into max's max's prison life max's shawshank redemption oh. if you will <laughs> we need to crawl through an awful lot of shit to get to the redemption right yes where where max befriends morgan freeman and they listen to jazz records on a on a roof and drink beers and then they have a boat somewhere with with a shiny blue sea was it costa rica no it's mexico somewhere ah mexico <laughs> Remember when we went to Shawshank? Yes, Ohio State Penitentiary. We've talked about it many times in this podcast. <laughs> Sometimes I'm drinking from the cup that I bought there. I remember it fondly because I couldn't go in because yeah. I had the dog. Yeah. You walked the dog. I got to walk around about the spooky penitentiary yes. on my own. That's absolutely haunted. No question about of it. Of course it is. You don't and really, you don't even believe in ghosts. No, you don't really appreciate though the size of those cells. Yeah, totally. And it's not even the fact that the cells are totally, but when you step out onto the gantry, the gantry is so totally as well. Yeah. It's like everything about it is so horribly claustrophobic. You can well imagine why people have a hard time adjusting getting out. Yes. When all of a sudden they have all the space. Right. It just feels. Oh, it's it's kind of how I felt uh, in the Badlands. Or was it Petrified Forest? When it's just yeah, there's it's, just nothing around, you know, because you're kind of used. No people. Yeah, and all you can hear is your heartbeat and the panic attack that you're about to have. Right. Whereas yeah. I love those sorts of situations. Yeah, you're weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was an awful lot to like about. Even like like you pointed out, the the max bit at the end was. It almost was a bit of, of a forgiving moment for Max, or whether it's just the fact that it's a a son and a parent right a reconciliation between just a reconciliation of father and son yeah. is really nice it was just beautifully done yes and uh yeah we got to see daniel at work and that's always great fun yes and talking about philip larkin i've not read a lot of larkin i like larkin yeah. Good stuff. 
Let's move on to our next storyline this evening, which is Tim's mum about the house. On Monday, at the Earthy flat, Carla has spoken to Dr. Gaddas, who must have been on her lunch or watching Home and Away or something. Do you because think it's Earthy? Yeah. There's a lot of black and gold Lots together. Lots of earth tones. We agreed last week it's earth tones. Because she told Carla just to monitor her situation. And I'm like, what, what, are, you, what are you doing you here, Gaddas? You don't want to do any blood work here? Carla, a patient who has suffered from severe psychosis and right. is recent past yeah. is concerned that she's having similar episodes right. now. Although they are very they are what she's experiencing is different. Yep. But the doctor just says monitor it. Yeah. That doesn't sound like Gaddas. That sounds that sounds like a lot of doctors I've seen, but it doesn't sound like Gaddas no. at all. No. What is the NHS coming to? Carla reads this as a clean bill of health and asks Peter to grab some files from the factory for her to work on after he talks her down from going back in. So Peter goes to the factory and speaks with Sarah and Stephen and asks for an order file to take to Carla, telling them that by the looks of things, she'll be back sooner rather than later. Spooked by this, Stephen offers to take the files over later. So Stephen takes the files round to Carla, pretends to be parched, and when Carla goes off to get a glass of water for him, he clumsily spikes her water, with the, some more of the LSD that he's got. Has he bought more? And within five minutes, Carla is throwing her own shite around the flat just as Peter comes back. He loudly says that he'll call the doctor as Stephen makes his excuses and leaves. Yes, although Stephen looks pensive at the mention of a doctor. Hmm. Later, Stephen must be missing asking people how other people are doing since he killed Teddy and doesn't seem to be speaking with Jenny anymore. So he asks Peter how Carla's doing. He tells her Carla is with the doctor now and that he doesn't want her going near the factory anytime soon. He thanks Stephen for all his help, which is a shame because Peter was really mistrusting of Stephen up until this point. Remember, yeah. he always had kind of a sly look for right. Stephen, like he didn't quite believe him, like something wasn't jiving right. totally right. And it wasn't, it's not the accent... There's something just about him that doesn't add up. Right. On Friday, in Nina's rolls, Stephen is enjoying a latte with Tim's mum. He suddenly has enough money to settle his debt thanks to the commission that he's getting from that Rufus deal. Right. Was it 10 grand? Something like that. It's not a bad, not a bad right. day's work. Yes. And Shona points out how rude he is because he's on his phone. Yeah. Well, Tim's mum just kind of stares off into space. Right. We do that all the time. That's well, fine. no, we're both on our phones at the same yes, time. Yes. Neither one of us is staring off into space. Well, sometimes. Sometimes I can just stare at the window and look at the traffic. And and we also do talk to one another. Yeah. Tim's mum can't wait to get out of Tim and Sally's. And Stephen knows how that feels, because I guess he's still living with Audrey. Ox. I think that's the only part of Tim's mum that we get this week. And I thought that was, Not that was a strange thing to say. Stephen bumps into Peter outside the cab office, which is also Peter's flat. Peter is cleaning one of the cabs, and Stephen tells him that he's missed a bit. He's looking to go and speak to Carla to top up her LSD later, and that's fine by Peter, who's distracted by a shiny gold watch that he finds in the footwell of mm. the cab that he's cleaning. I wonder who that could belong to. Well, at this point, I didn't know who that belonged to because we haven't seen Peter in the cab for weeks. No, it hasn't been weeks. It has been weeks. Because remember... The last person he took 
for a cab ride yes. with one Rufus. Which was two weeks ago. Was that two weeks ago? Yes, that's why I said weeks. It's a long time. I know. At the earthy flat, Stephen has ignored Peter's request and is talking business with Carla. He tells Carla to take all the rest she needs, but she says she'll probably be back at work next week. Stephen offers to make her a cup of tea before he goes. That's just so hilarious. Uh, do you want me to just put a little right. couple of drops of this on your tongue just before I go? Sorry. Right, yeah. Can I make you a cup of tea in your own home? Yeah. It's something that no one says. But finally, Carla realises that this is something that nobody says and throws Stephen out. At the factory, Stephen tells Sarah about Carla and pretends to be worried about her. He suggests that Sarah talks to her, which is obviously a stupid idea, and she passes on it. Right, yeah. She's like, oh, we don't have that kind of relationship anymore. <laughs> Not anymore. Then Peter, who doesn't work at the factory, comes into the factory looking for a phone number for Rufus. Sarah and Stephen talk him out of getting in touch with Rufus before asking why Peter wants it in the first place. So Peter just keeps quiet yeah, about the lies. watch that he's found. Oh, he, he was offering me to some contractor work or something. Yeah. Stephen expresses his worries about Carla returning to work. Well, thankfully, it's not up to you, says Peter. And once Peter leaves, Sarah, apropos of nothing, reminisces about the last time Carla was sick and came back to work and gave away 50% of the business. And this gets Stephen's dodgy Canadian eyes a scheming. Right. But she's not very specific because she gave 50% of the business away to the people who worked there. The knicker people. Right. So that's... That's different than just randomly giving 50% of the business away to people who are not invested people. Yeah. Because the Knicker people are invested in the business. The Knicker people are very invested. Right. It's part of their They, they want it to succeed so that they keep, that they keep their jobs mm -hmm. and their culture alive and their <laughs> alphabet and their stories. And all their writings, yep. Yes. Back at the earthy flat. <laughs> Amongst the sewing circle. Back at the earthy flat, Carla suggests that she and Peter goes, go out to celebrate her feeling better. He makes a promise not to overdo it, which she does, and she agrees to delegate more. They chat about going away on a fancy holiday. Peter tells her she deserves the best, and when she goes off for a shite, he carefully eyes Rufus's watch. Mm. Meanwhile at the factory, <clears throat> Stephen is working late when Sarah catches him looking through Active Agreements Binder. He claims he's just prepping for tomorrow's meeting. And this is enough to satisfy Sarah, who goes off, allowing Stephen to find the Articles of Association, essentially the Bible of the factory. Gotcha, he says. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Gotcha how? Gotcha what? What a goofus. I think what he's probably found there is how they go about ousting an unwanted director of the business because that'll be down in the in the, the articles of association that it requires four votes out of five or whatever to right. to get rid of but, Carla because that's presumably what he's wanting to do right but Carla owns 50% of the business like legally she owns 50% of the business he owns 0% of the business what does he think he's I don't know doing? That, I don't know that she does own 50%. The Knicker people own 50%. Right. Sarah owns some of it, I think, doesn't she? I don't think so. Or she just employed. She just employed because Nick owned 50%. And that's how Sarah got the job. But then Carla bought Nick back out again, remember? So that Nick could buy the bistro. <laughs> if only there was... I think. Yeah. If only there was a... 
a wall chart that we could buy that just would <laughs> properties and businesses change heads so often several times in the week all Stephen really needs to do is just sit back and wait for the opportunity to buy art but here's my question what the hell is he still doing there if he's got all this money now he's murdered two people leave flee get out of there before those now, bodies now, are found you know what they say about double murderers they always pay their debts like the Lannisters they always pay their debts so he's got to square up with Tim's mum before he leaves or maybe he believes in the rules in the rule of three Right, maybe that's why he's still there because he feels like he has to pay off Tim's mum and he has to murder one more person and he seemed to be wanting to get into Jenny's knickers for a while I don't know if he's and still trying to do that now he doesn't now he's just he's never in there no and yet he's still having coffee with Tim, Tim's mum so none of this makes any sense I think and she's why still would he, why would he even want the knicker factory why would he want that so he can remember the place that he killed Teddy and the roof that he threw Cinco Leo off of. So many memories. Good times. So fond. Yeah, it's really weird. Here's remember when he was just like, I can't wait to get out of this hell hole. He was it's desperate. He was looking so for flights. awful. I hate Manchester. Get me out of here. I want to go back to Canada. <laughs> Here's the thing. Here's the sand that's under my foreskin. Let me flick that up for you. <laughs> oh, caref- careful you. <laughs> so, like I said, two Fridays ago uh-huh. is when Rufus got into the taxi and presumably lost his watch. Yes. Because we haven't seen him back in the taxi since. No. And as he was getting into the taxi at that point, he said what I felt was a weird thing to say at the time, this watch probably costs more than you'll ever make in your life. Right. To Peter. Yes. And then it's never been mentioned since. No. It's never been about since. No. On Monday, last Monday, not Monday back there, the Monday before that. Right. That was when he had his heart attack. Right. And before he had his heart attack, as he was in the robe in the room, he checked his watch. Right. So he was wearing the... He he got to the rape hotel with the watch on. Maybe he has two watches. That's what I'm thinking. Does he have two watches or does he just have a whole... Maybe he has a whole drawer of watches like Doctor Strange. A whole arm full of of watches like Harry the Hat from Cheers. A reference for the kids there. Either that... Or it's not really Rufus's watch. It's someone else's watch. And so Peter's justification that Rufus is a dick, so it's okay to steal from him, right. blows up in his face. Because, because it's actually like a nice deacon's watch. Well, that would, right, that would make much more sense. Because it also suggests that nobody's cleaned out that cab in two weeks. Right. right. Nobody noticed it. A gold watch. Under the feet. Hmm. I don't know. I just. I mean, it's not like it's my car. Because I remembered that scene from from last Monday, mm-hmm. because I remember him checking his watch. Because I, I remember because he, he drew attention to it the last time. Right. So it kind of drew my attention to it. Right. So I remembered that he had the watch before he had his heart attack, uh-huh. and he's never been back in the cab, and he's no. never seen. Pe- he's, he's not been in the show since. No. So, I don't know. I wonder though, with Stephen and Tim's mum chatting about how they're getting under people's feet if he's going to 
try and make another move on her. I really hope not. Like try to move in with her or something. Mm-hmm. Go away. Just yeah, go just away. leave. Somebody's going to find that body in the box. It's not that deep. And I know it's another week where there's been plenty of people pissed off with this and wanting it to come to an end, but I'm still enjoying it. I like I like Stephen. So sue me. I do not like him. He's just too slimy. Well, I don't slimy. like him, but he's... he's but I, I like he's the, just too slimy, and I really don't like the whole drugging Carla thing. It's just even more ridiculous. It's It's ridiculous and stupid, but it's also, you know... Oh, we, we need to give this woman a comeuppance sort of thing. And I don't like that. Mm. Our penultimate storyline tonight is Evil Knieve Paul. <laughs> Contrived? Never. Hmm. Sarcastic? Me? Maybe. On Monday, in the morning, Paul is rough after his dice with death last week when he toppled off a stationary motorbike. He tells Dee Dee about Billy winching the face off him last night, but Paul insists that nothing can happen. Later, in Nina's roles, Dee Dee sees Billy, who looks like he had a sad wank that morning. The two of them talk loudly about Paul hiding his feelings about the relationship so Todd can overhear. And privately, he tells Dee Dee that he knows what's eating Paul grape and goes off to do something about it. In this scene, we also learn that Dee Dee has been to Dollywood five times. Now, here's the thing about this. Here's the thing that bothers me here. Do I love the reference to Dollywood? Of course I do. <laughs> However, <laughs> Dee Dee lived in California. She did. She lived in San Francisco, I think. Or San Diego. No, it was Ellie. That was San Diego or no. something. Dollywood is in Tennessee. Yeah, we live in Michigan, though. So what the show is trying to tell us is that Dee Dee flew five times to Tennessee Mm -hmm. to go to Dollywood. And that was the only vacation. She didn't have time for vacation, but she had time to fly across the country to Tennessee five times. Mm -hmm. And yet never once. Never once, the whole time she was living in California, did she go to Disneyland? No, how do we know that? Because she says the only vacation she ever took was to Dollywood five times. Well, maybe she loved Dollywood. I can see you doing that. You love Dollywood as well. I love Dollywood, but if I lived in California, I wouldn't... And I had no children and no responsibilities and was a lawyer, so had a considerable enough amount of money to spend on myself... To fly across the country five times. I would fly to other places other than just Dollywood. I mean, I love- And also, if I lived close enough to Disneyland, I would go to Disneyland. I mean, I, I love Dollywood as well, but I love Dollywood because it made us get Jane Danson and Georgia Taylor to say Dollywood. Dollywood? <laughs> that was... That's, that's, I, honestly, one of the highlights of my life. Yes, mine too. <laughs> But still, it's like people don't understand how big this country is. And how really underwhelming Dollywood is. Oh, the cinnamon bread was good. It was so good you didn't get to eat any. So Todd goes to see Paul. And after encouraging him to sue Carla, he tells Paul that the only way that he's going to get over this Mike situation and back with Billy is he's going to need to tell Billy that he was the one who shoved Mike. He shoved Mike. So on Maxine's bench, Paul tells Billy, telling him that it was Todd's idea 
but Todd's intervention was what stopped him going to jail. Right. Billy happily parks his moral, ob- moral objections to the whole shoving Mac thing, and the two of them winch on the bench while a happy Todd creepily looks on <laughs> from an upstairs window. So creepy. So creepy. Yikes. Ah. Uh. So Paul says, so if you go to the police... I'll be probably the one that, that right. goes to jail. And Billy says, I'm not going to quit the police. No. Archdeacon of the year, folks. Yeah. Yes. Oh. Yes. And it just proves that his moral objections to Todd had absolutely nothing to do with shoving Mike. Right. It had shoving to, Mike. It had to do with just not liking the taste of Todd's dick anymore. It's... It's Billy is guided by his penis, I think, more than anything else. Well, yes, because he's obviously not guided by... By his, God. By God, because he's never in church. On Wednesday, Todd drops into Billy's flat and finds Paul in a post-coital state sounds boxers. Billy announces that he and Paul are back together again. Well, no shit, Sherlock. Yes. Todd is chuffed and, we learn, so is Summer. Paul is still suffering from the accident last week when he toppled off a stationary bike. Paul and Dee are in the rovers playing darts. Ed informs Paul that a lot of work's going to be coming his way. Meanwhile, Paul struggles to pick up and throw a dart and accidentally kills Evelyn's hat. That was hilarious. She calls him a pound shop Jockey Wilson. And do you know what a pound shop Jockey Wilson is? Just Jockey Wilson. <laughs> Back at the flat with Dee Americans find it hilarious that it's called the pound shop, by the way. Yeah. Because. <laughs> yeah, I, I that, know. That takes on a different meaning here. Yeah. Even though it's just the dollar store. <laughs> Back at the flat with Dee <laughs> Paul insists that he isn't drunk, but declines an offer to play PlayStation or whatever because his hand's not working properly. Mm-hmm. And so he has an early night. On Friday, Gemma's not having a good day. She's trying to phone in her meter readings and is spending hours on hold listening to the cheeky girls. She meets Paul, who is keen to get back to work and earning again. Then Billy and Paul are at Gemma's much, much later for beers. Gemma is off hold now and gets wired into the beer too when she gets a text from the power company who have now worked out what her bill is. Turns out she owes four grand. This fucks up everything. She's had estimated readings for so long. It's all been adjusted. She owes them four grand. Paul promises to help her sort it out. And Billy clutches his pearls a little bit. And back home, Billy isn't happy that Paul is focusing on his sister so much. What a wonderful man. Fearful that he's setting his own recovery back. Paul plays it down, but then is shocked when he can't grab his wine glass. And that's as far as we get with that this week. So let's recap here. I think that's what we're doing. Didn't I just do that? Earlier we mentioned that Alia had a collapsed lung and yet (laughs) has recovered quickly enough to help... Now, remember, just before you go on, because I, 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 I anticipate this is going to be good, but let's just let's just acknowledge that two weeks before that, she was blown up. Right. Alia's been blown up and then stabbed. And she's fine and walking around and helping her brother with heavy luggage and having sexual intercourse with Ryan. She's physically fine. Yes. Yeah. Even though she had a collapsed lung, mm. which is not something that you recover from quickly. In real life, nor is being blown up something that you re- that you recover. I, from I don't think quickly. that's something that you don't recover from quickly. I think that's something that you, you just don't, don't recover, recover from. from at all. Right. Paul was t- 
tapped lightly by a truck that had her that had him topple over and fall off a stationary bike mm. he fell gently but yes. let's be honest he fell gently yes and now has reduced motor skills mm-hmm. on his right side his right side he fell on his right arm right but if if anything was going to be injured there Remember, he, I think he took a bump to the head because he, right. he was knocked out briefly, remember? Right, yes. He had his arm in a sling when yes. he came out of the hospital, but that was quickly dispensed with. Right. If anything was going to get injured there, I think it was the leg that the That was underneath hit. the bike. Oh, right, both yes. his legs probably that, that probably were going to be, be damaged. But yeah, he seems to have lost the grip in his hand a bit. He's got some He's got nerve, nerve damage or something. Damage. Right. From falling lightly off of a stationary motorcycle. Yeah. And yet Alia completely recovered from a collapsed lung. And explosion. And with everyone, mostly men, watching her walk by and saying, oh, she's so strong. Such a strong woman. So strong. You don't know how strong Alia is. She's so strong. I mean, you think you know how strong she is, but then, wow, she just bounces back from this. What the fuck? So very, very strong. White. Paul, not so much. Oh, the gentle wee flower. <laughs> Tell you what, it's interesting that they're touching on the power cost crisis. Yeah. That Gemma is getting a £400 bill. $4,000. £4,000 bill. Yeah. I don't think we've ever had a $4,000 bill no, for electricity. 4000 anything, but our gas is ex- extremely expensive yeah. at the moment. I'm a good $100 a month more than I was last year. Mm-hmm. Electricity is just a little bit more expensive, but gas is very expensive. Yeah. And well, we're not using it that much. And yeah. it's still, if we were using it as much as right. we have in previous years, that could be like two or $300 more. We, we kind of look out because our, our town has its own electric company. Mm-hmm. So it means that we rarely, go, we rarely lose power for very long. It also means though that they can charge and, whatever they like, and they don't really charge us all that much because because it's not as expensive to generate because of the dams and stuff. Do you know how much your bill is? It could be so much worse. I don't know what it is, but I know it could be worse. We're a couple of hundreds. Yeah, it could be so much worse than that. Hmm. It's interesting that they're touching us when. This wasn't. This was maybe something that was more kind of on the horizon for a lot of people when it was probably filmed. But I think this is speaking quite loudly to a lot of people, especially people who are not on fixed bills. Right. Their their bill isn't spread out evenly over the year. Right. Or at a reduced rate because they're they're locked in for two or three years or whatever, which tend to be the the people who can least afford. The fluctuations like yeah. this, who are on, you know, meters and and stuff. Apparently, there's people a people like Gemma, right? Yeah. Apparently, there's a there's a tomato shortage in the UK now as well. I wonder if they'll touch on that. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of photographs on Facebook of uh, the Tesco where the the fruit and veg bit is essentially <laughs> essentially empty, right? And they're blaming an awful lot of that on flooding in Spain and places like that this right. year. But 
I think they could be blaming on another couple of things, maybe. But right. this is not for <coughs> Brexit. That's not for. That's not for this podcast. And I mean, a lot of it is is the Russia and Ukraine thing. Mm. Whereas here, it's eggs and Adderall <laughs> that are the problem. Great band, though. Yeah, eggs and Adderall. Mm. I love their first album. Yeah, kind of dropped and off eggs. after there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we kind of hoped that the Billy and Paul thing wasn't going to happen and it I was I th- honestly it was hoping it was going to happen wasn't I it? was honestly hoping for a Paul and Todd relationship I don't think I want that either I would prefer that to either one of them with Billy if I'm honest because I would like Billy to go back to work mm. in a church and not be you know guided by penis even just for a bit yeah. Let's just have a storyline where he has to go to church occasionally. Right. Let's see him give a sermon. Or even just a bit of one. Right. Or, you know, do communion. I want to see him put wafers in people's mouths. Back to his penis again. <laughs> oh, how quickly it descends. Yeah. Um, I'm curious where we're going with the Paul thing. Yeah. He's obviously not going to be able to work as much as Ed's wanting them to work right and then he's going to have the, the he's going to feel like he has the responsibility for for Gemma's wedding as well so it's like oh god we're going to get tough times ahead for Gemma and Chesney again right. it's been a while hasn't it not really and once again they're talking about how they can't afford any of these things she's now working uh child care right where she's raking and what was it 60 quid a day per kid that's bound to be making a difference, surely, to all the other jobs that she's got in the Rovers and in the kebab shop. And right. Chesney's working the kebab shop and the chippy and Bernie's job in the kebab shop and then... Roy's Rolls. Roy's Rolls. Or Nina's, Nina's Rolls. Rolls, rather. Nina called it Roy's Rolls this week. Yeah. I don't think that's ever been signed back. He signed everything over to her. Right. I don't think they've ever mentioned I don't it. know how he got the witty back. They did get the witty back, didn't they? Yeah, there's pills you can get for that. All right. <laughs> Let's move on to our last storyline. I'm going to need my guitar for this. Oh, no. <clears throat> Prepare yourselves, people. <clears throat> oh, I, can, I don't have an awful lot of room here. No, that, that was the problem last time. Justin Stalking's rights again. Again. Nice. Justin Stalkins rides again. It gets better. <laughs> Your guitar playing, not the storyline. Oh. <laughs> On Monday, package for Daisy. It's a delivery of wedding favors. Whatever they are, they're purple they're and pins. they have otters on. Yeah, they're pins of otters. Later, Daisy realizes that she has a voicemail. It's Justin. He's got a number from the packaging label and promises that he'll be in ch- touch to chat soon. Daisy is mortified. And then furious. And this is true. Sometimes you do get packages that have, have a, your phone number on it. What on earth are people Why? thinking? Yeah. Don't do that. Don't do that. <sighs> Jenny suggests Daisy is accompanied wherever she goes and starts carrying pepper spray. That's illegal. But Daisy refuses to compromise her life just because Justin is a creepy wee bastard. She's blocked his number, but that won't stop him calling from another phone. 
She's blocked him. She's told him to fuck off and reported them to the police. She doesn't know what else she can do. Jenny wants to boot him in the pie, and I think that's exactly what needs to happen. Well. Daniel comes in later after being appraised of the details. He doesn't think she should retreat into her shell, but doesn't think Tyrone's spare wrench is going to help matters. Yeah, you never know. On Wednesday, Daisy is still getting creepy messages from Justin. She plays it down and focuses instead on a meeting with the caterer that, of course, she's going to have in the Rovers later. In the meeting, Daisy is a bit distracted and weird, so Jenny picks up the slack. Daisy says that she just needs a good night's sleep. She's also thrown off a little bit when she is expecting the caterer to be a woman, and it's a man that turns up instead. Right. So, for the day, Daisy has turned off her phone and claims to have forgotten to turn it back on, and she's reluctant to do so now. Daniel makes a big deal about it, so she turns it on, and she's inundated with texts, and she practically has a panic attack about it. I thought that was brilliantly done, because she turns it on, and, and immediately you hear all the beeps and the buzzing, the yeah. messages and notifications coming in, and her reaction to hearing that on her face was just brilliant. She kind of just, she falls apart a yes. little bit every time that, buzz or or ting happens you can feel it just going through our nerves yeah really I really well done you know i don't currently have a stalker but yeah that fills me with anxiety as well yeah. when you have your phone turned off for a long time then you turn it on and all of a sudden it's just buzzing up a storm yeah and it's like no go away it's, it's like 50 people have made their moves on word with friends right <laughs> <clears throat> uh one of the messages mentions uh, Justin's death and her death. Right. He says that he would die for her. And, and he knows that he she feels the same. Right. And Daniel reads this and takes this as a threat and he insists to go to the cops. At the cop shop, Daisy's on her own and she has to go through the whole rigmarole again, this time with a different copper because yeah. Craig is now too scared to meet with her after last time. Right. This new cop downplays it again, says that they can't exactly go around arresting every bloke who takes an interest in a pretty girl. Oh, punch that man in the face. Fucking hell, really. The cop does, though, take her diary to take photocopies and will file another report. In the meantime, though, no laws have been broken, so Justin won't be arrested. Back home, Daisy is furious while Daniel takes the side of the cop a little bit, saying he probably doesn't want to worry her by seeming concerned about her case. And then Daniel has a bright idea of screening her calls and messages as something of a digital bouncer. Daisy discovers that the new cop has been liking all of her old holiday photos on the Insta and has started following her. Yeah. Creepy as fuck. fuck. On Friday, it's morning at number one. Daniel, who, let's remember, wasn't sure if he could get his wedding day off work, has managed to wangle some time off for Creep Watch. So he keeps an eye on Daisy's phone. Lord knows what will happen on Monday. Mm. Daisy goes off to get a new phone and a new number. But first, there's the small matter of their hole. In the Rovers, Daisy has a lovely new phone. She's missing her expansive contact list, what with her being a super influencer, let's not forget. Also, she's pissed off that Daniel has been posting on her Insta on her behalf and has hashtag fucked up on the captions. And also tagged the wrong business. This sounds unimportant because it is unimportant. But it's important to Daisy, who reminds Daniel that her influencer work is paying for the wedding. That's another thing. Daniel wants to reschedule that anyway, given what she has on her plate, but she's enraged to think that Daniel is willing to plan their lives according to Justin. Mm-hmm. On the street, Daisy runs into Justin, who's carrying flowers, and already angry, she now goes, ha ha fucking rage at him. Yes. She snatches the flowers from him, throws them on the street and stamps on them. 
where <laughs> then David comes along and takes a shit on them. He insists that she's got the wrong end of the stick and touches her shoulder and tells her to calm down, to which she lamps him in the jaw. As she should, as every woman should when a man tells her to calm down. <laughs> George appears out of nowhere. Daisy, what on earth are you doing? And it turns out, uh-oh, Justin Mums died. The flowers were for her and George is the undertaker. Daisy says that she's sorry about Justin's mum, but that's all she's sorry for. Mm. And she wanders off. And at home, finally, she's been carrying this for so long. And I was going to say, so well, she has been doing it, carrying it well, considering. But she finally just breaks down in tears. Right, because remember, she's just been so strong. Right. So strong. As strong as Alia, because Alia's super strong, remember? Yes, they're both so strong. So strong. (laughs) Daisy puts all this down to stress and him being a fanny. Daisy is coming round to the idea of postponing the wedding, but now Daniel's determined to have it when they've planned, although he's worried Justin will ruin it. He hopes that she's knocked some sense into him. Daisy and Daniel are at the Rovers chatting about events with Glenda when the cops arrive. And George. To take Daisy to the station to talk about an allegation of common assault. George isn't there at that point. Yes. No, he isn't, because they're talking about what George is going to think. And and Glenda says, George thinks what I tell him to think. Oh, that's right. He's there later. He's there later, but we're not talking about later. We're talking about now. Not yet. So Daisy's carted off. Daniel posts it on Insta and tells the cop that she's enabling a stalker. At the police station, Daisy admits to hitting Justin only when he touched her. The cop thinks if Daisy shows some regret, it might (laughs) might help. help her case. And this is just the shite that pushes Daisy to kill as she explains about creepy PC Scott who's probably wanking off to her holiday snaps as they speak. The female cop smells a fart here and she takes another statement from Daisy and seems a bit more on her side although Daisy doesn't seem to recognise that. Right. And then PC Scott comes in to tell him that Justin has withdrawn his complaint. PC Scott doesn't think Daisy is doing herself any favours which sounds an awful lot like she's asking for it. Right, yes. Then the rovers later, Daisy thinks if she'd been locked up, at least she'd be rid of Justin. And at that, Justin comes in. He wants to talk and he isn't leaving until he's had his say. So Daisy, Justin and Daniel sit down at a table and Justin apologises for calling the police and wants to make it right. He wants to give Daisy another chance. (laughs) Daisy tells him to fuck off and never come back. Fuck all the way off. She tells him he's nothing to her. And this finally seems to sink in. Yeah, why does it sink in finally now? Is it because his mum's dead? Oh, maybe. Later, the female cop from earlier comes into the rovers wanting a word, so they go through the back. Daisy's still suspicious of her until she announces that PC Scott got a reprimand for being creepy as fuck. Plus, she suggests that they pursue a stalking restraining order thing for the other creep in her life. Right. For Daniel, though, she's on her own. Right, yes. Finally, a police officer who's willing to help. Yes. Now, this is the same police officer... Brought Peter in for the whole. Oh yes, that is yes. Stealing the bike thing, yeah, and she, also and bought some sandwiches from from the co-op, I think. Yes, yeah, she's been around a few times. She's she's almost becoming a regular. Yeah, she has no DS Swain. But no, I'm liking the cut of her jib. Yes, more, more lady cops, please. <laughs> then Daisy has gone out for some chips when creepy Justin appears because she's happy about this now that finally right. someone's believing her and somebody's and willing to do something going to happen yeah so she goes out for some chips when creepy Justin appears out of nowhere 
to give her one last chance. He says that he thinks that she only said what she said because Daniel was there. Daisy tells him to leave her alone or she'll take out a restraining order. Justin calls her a bitch now and accuses her of leading him on. Right. She shouts him, ridiculous. She shouts him to leave, which draws attention of some folks out the pub. So Justin walks away, but warns her that he's going to be in touch. And that's how we end this week's episodes. Yes. I think it was a pretty good week, all things considered. I was kind of dreading it. But then it surprised me by being good. Uh, I think I think this is really given Charlotte Jordan a, re- a real good storyline for yes. her to work with. And she's doing an amazing job. Yes. I, th- I think this is a really relevant and... Absolutely. And, and a... Of important story yes. to tell and I think it's also important to show the cops as being a little bit uncaring and unhelpful here and not really there to protect Daisy unless something and so something bad happens something bad because happens, that's absolutely that realistic and also because the laws haven't really caught up to the technology yet No, in so many ways you only have to, you know, watch the congressional hearings with Mark Zuckerberg to figure that out. You know, it's just, I think it is frustrating for a lot of police officers, especially female police officers that can kind of understand a little bit more the frustrations of being stalked, that, that there is very little they can do about it. Mm-hmm. But the, the kind of, it's interesting too, because like the kind of, way that one officer was talking to Daisy and stuff that that predates social media in in many ways it's always kind of been you know well you know you go out with a skirt that short you're asking to be raped right yes mm-hmm. or oh he's just he just thinks you're pretty be nice to him yeah you've got an admirer there right yeah and not take seriously that you know that this is worrying behavior which in all fairness daisy's mom did initially as well saying oh he just thinks you're pretty it's fine Mm -hmm. you know don't look a gift horse in the mouth it's maybe a generational thing yes there although that's more kind of our generation and i don't know anybody who thinks that although i guess there are plenty of people who do still think like that i think they've, they've they've done the emotional beats of this Pretty well. Absolutely. I, I, I think maybe maybe Justin's character is a little bit exaggerated. I don't think so. And maybe he's deaf to what he's hearing from Daisy a wee bit too much. But what I think they've got absolutely spot on is that switch. The switch where he's willing to die for her, he's said uh-huh. a number of times. And yeah. It's the love of his life. Right. And but you, now, I don't understand why you keep blocking me it must be by mistake Mm -hmm. so i'm just going to change my number a million times so i can call you but that point where she said you mean nothing to me right and then when they have the little altercation at the end where he's still thinking that it was to do with daniel but he was but he was still humiliated right but when she doesn't respond positive obviously not positively to that right he calls her a bitch yeah, and says so she was leading him on. And how many times do you see something like that where there, you see some of the online conversation between uh-huh. people and when a woman has said, 
Multiple I'm, times. I'm so, just politely, I'm sorry, I'm not interested. Uh-huh. All of a sudden, she's a bitch, and right. all of a sudden, they want her to be raped and killed. Right, yeah. And it, it turns on a sixpence, and that's yes. kind of what, what he's done here. Yes. And what, Very realistically. And what was frightening already mm-hmm. becomes amplified now because he he very real wants to do our harm right and yeah. is using if i can't threatening have you, language as opposed no one can have you exactly which yeah Me. i think they've done that really well and i think mm-hmm. it's a shame for the actor that's that's playing them really because he's he's playing a creepy bastard really well yeah but i wonder if i wonder how easy it is for him now to walk down the street it would have been much much worse years ago where uh-huh. 20 million people watched coronation street every night right but you know sometimes the baddies in these shows get mistaken for being actual real baddies. baddies and, and nut jobs and stuff so that's how you know they're good actors though exactly like what's his name from the game of the thrones who's never gotten another job acting afterwards joffrey oh Actor hey, joffrey. Joffrey. Hey, joffrey i don't think he's had anymore acting gigs I don't recall since. seeing them anywhere but yeah I think they've done they've done this well and they've done you know it's you, a shame you, he's you Scottish have, you may have well fine you may have realised that I'm not Daniel's greatest fan here and I'm no. not I'm not his fan much in this storyline either but I think they've done his part in this as being the partner to someone who has been stalked like this I think they've done that quite authentically as well and there are aspects of that that I really like, like uh, like that scene where Steve comes in and asks her how she's doing and then Daniel shows up and then Daniel and Steve have this conversation about, oh, don't worry about it. I'll look after her. And Daisy says, oi, I'm right here. Right. You know, talk to me. Yeah. Not to each other. Yeah. Certainly didn't talk to Steve. I'm not a child here mm. that, you know, you're talking about taking care of. I'm an adult. Yeah, yeah. I, I like how this is this has been developed. I think they're doing it doing it really well. I'm really keen to see where it's going. It's going to get worse before it gets better, obviously. Absolutely. And I think we we have we have to just keep on reminding ourselves that we need to have some light to to contrast against this dark. Maybe a little bit more than we got this week, but I agree. Generally speaking, and what was the week that was Coronation Street? Mm-hmm. There was an awful lot to like, yes. and I really thought that Wednesdays was perhaps the best that's been this year. There's been comments that it's maybe been the best written mm-hmm. uh, episodes yes. this year, and I think do you know if it wasn't for the fact that Summer Wednesday was taken up with convincing Alia to go and see Max. I would absolutely agree, but that mm-hmm. bit really infuriated me because there was a way round about it. It didn't have to be like right. that. And they wouldn't have taken any more time to do it. They no. didn't have to develop anything. No. The, the foundation was there to have right. Alia come to this realisation on Herself, her own. Yes. And wouldn't that have been a bit more powerful? Yes. But Instead of having three different men tell her yeah. to do it. But overall, I thought it was... Yeah. Notice none of the women said, hey, you know what would be a great idea? <laughs> yuck, yuck. <laughs> yeah, nobody... None of the women said And that. again, this is why we live longer than you guys do. <laughs> so that was the week that was Coronation Street. Then, Helen, tell me, what was your moment of the week? You know what? I'm going to surprise myself. <gasps> Alia and Max. Yeah, it was. It's got to be. Yeah. It was fantastic. And here I thought I was going to hate it. 
but it didn't go the route that I expected it to, having watched the show. <laughs> and for that, I think, you know, much praise should be given. It's nice when the show can still surprise me. When Alia said, I don't care. Yeah. I was like, all right. Okay. I'm interested I'm now. here. Yeah, because up to that point, I'm like, what the fuck is she doing there? Yeah. But as soon as she said, I don't care, and then started picking them apart. Yeah. And the way that she left it with, it's not so much that your parents don't understand you, it's that you're not listening to what they say. Right. It, it started the the diatribe, that's the wrong word. It started uh, that confrontation completely on the right note by throwing everything off kilter. Right. And then it finished really strongly as well. And it was yes. pretty amazing in the middle. Absolutely. Yeah. I think all your meeting up with Max in that Boston prison thing is our moment of the week. Your boring moment of the week. <sighs> you know, I really like Philip Larkin. But Daniel teaching Philip Larkin and, and expecting these boys to... They did seem to care, though. That's the thing. They didn't seem to know how to answer a lot of his questions, though. That's fine, but they, they, they were engaged to a certain extent. Hmm. But I'm, I'm liking where you're going with us, so... Daniel's teaching? Do you know what my important moment of the week was? What? It's a dance departure. Yeah, that was kind of... It was so understated. It was yeah. it was rushed and it was terribly understated. Yeah. I don't think he's been a well-utilised character. No. And I think he's been kind of caught up in a lot of stupid stuff, with, yeah. especially with Hashim, but I think he deserved a bit better than that. Absolutely. Yeah, let's go with that. Okay. Let's cut Daniel some slack cut for a while. Cut Daniel some slack and it's Zidane's departure is our... Boring moment. Yeah, boring moment of the week. Shall we wrap this one up then? Yes, please. All right, well, if you have had a disappointing departure, as disappointing as me right now, right? Write until let us know about it. We are the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Cory Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can shout me and Helen a coffee by heading to kofi.com, that's k o fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to a merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. Thank you. And we will be back next week with more. Our talk of the street. The talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio. Bye.